want to thank you that you do just give us everything we need in life and provide for us in every way. And as we think of the many ways that you bless us, we thank you that we know that you bless us by speaking to us clearly through your word. And we pray that this morning that we'll have hearts and minds that are ready to really be open and to hear from you, that you really will speak clearly into our life situation now. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's a, a sad reflection, I think, on the human condition that, that many of us, when we have a, a weakness and then find someone else maybe with the same weakness but to a greater degree, well, that so often our, our first reaction isn't to feel overwhelmed by compassion, by a desire to, to reach out to someone who's suffering. We really can understand, no, too often, our first reaction is just to feel a mingled sense of joy and relief. Hooray, there's actually somebody who's worse than me. Now, as somebody who's known as something of a, a directional dyslexic, what else can you call someone who sets out from Ayrshire for St Andrews and ends up lost in Lanark? That's a fact, and for those of you who maybe come from another country, let me tell you that's just about as close as you can get to a miracle in reverse. But that being the case, let me tell you that I cannot overstress the boon that Satnav has been to me. That lovely lady's voice speaks to me so patiently and so soothingly. I do still get things wrong sometimes. I don't always follow her instructions as I should sometimes. I go my own way yet again. But you know what's best? When this happens, she never says to me in an exasperated tone, where are you going? She never says, you've been there a hundred times before, you must know the way by now. No, all she says in that same sweet, patient, unchanging tone is recalculating. <laughs> recalculating. But do we see here in, in Acts 16 something of the same kind of problem with the great Apostle Paul? Is he even worse than me? As here, Paul seems to go here, there, and everywhere around the fringes of the Roman province of Asia, which in modern terms is really centered on Turkey and the, the area surrounding. So was Paul then a fellow sufferer? Can I take heart that I've got at least this in common with this genius? Let's see. As we start off here by looking at their seeming confusion. For you see here Paul, Silas and Timothy set off on their second missionary journey. In fact, as you, as you look at it, it would seem that this really didn't start off as a, a missionary venture at first as such. For what we find in Acts 15 verse 36 is that sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. 
And it was for this purpose, after a disagreement with Barnabas about the precise personnel who were to be involved, that they were then commissioned and sent out in Acts 15.40 by the church at Antioch. So you see, really, this started off as a pastoral visit to the churches that had already been planted in the first missionary journey. They went out, really, to check, basically, that these churches were still growing spiritually, that they were still spiritually healthy, and that any social or physical needs in the congregation were being adequately responded to. For that word, visit, in verse 36, actually carries within it the idea of visiting the second, of looking after widows and orphans, although obviously was in order. Paul's pastoral business was quickly concluded. And so this man then, whose heart was full of love for the Lord, of zeal for the gospel, who was so aware of his call as the apostle to the Gentiles, he began to look outward. He began then to look to where next they could, they should take the gospel, this liberating message of God's love and forgiveness and grace extended to all men and women through faith in Jesus Christ. So you see, situated where he was, on the boundaries of the Roman province of Asia, Paul quite naturally began to move towards taking this gospel to the great center of population in that region. And coming from the east as he was, there was a natural route southwest along the Meander Valley to the most important city in this province, the city of Ephesus. Now, you see, we don't know how far they got in this journey, a journey of around 300 miles, probably not too far, before they were stopped in their tracks by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 talks of how they were kept by the Spirit from preaching the Word in the province of Asia. Now, we don't know how the Spirit led them here, whether it was a, a shared inner conviction that they came to, or whether one or other of them was given a word of, of prophecy, or whether it was some kind of, of circumstance, something like illness, or perhaps an awareness of some organized opposition orchestrated by the Jews along their route. We don't know. All we know is that Paul and his companions were convinced by the Holy Spirit that the Lord did not want them at this time to go into Asia, Roman Asia, with the gospel. So they then head north, hitting the border of Mysia, and they try to continue north to Bithynia, another Roman province running along the southern shore of the Black Sea. But yet again, they are held back. This time, verse 7 says, by the Spirit of Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are one and the same. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. However, it is very unusual for the Spirit to be formally identified in this way as the Spirit of Jesus. And I believe that this has to be at least possibly, because it was Jesus himself 
who in the form perhaps of a vision or of a dream, who came to them and so barred their path to Bithynia. So, having come from the east and tried to go southwest, having tried to go then north and on both occasions, having their way blocked, well, would you blame these men if they were confused? Maybe put the map up just now if that's okay, Steph. That just shows you the way that they actually did go. It doesn't show you the first bit where they went all around, but it does show you the route that they travelled. But would you blame them if they were confused? They'd done what seemed to be logical and sensible, and all they've had each step along the way is God's no. And so there's only really one other option to them, and they take that option, heading out to Troas on the Aegean coast, close to what we would now call the Dardanelles. And it's here that they receive their positive guidance. Paul has a vision, a vision of a man of Macedonia, basically what we would call part of Greece, calling them to come over and help them, calling them to come and to share the gospel with them. And the next morning, after this is shared, after this is discussed, after a common conclusion is reached, that is what they set out to do. So what do we have here then? We have a situation of seeming confusion at the human level, out of which they finally emerge to a clear understanding of the will of God. What we have here then is really the classic guidance scenario. This is the place where so many of us find ourselves at certain stages in our lives. Maybe when we reach those crossroad points in life where we've got big decisions to make, we find ourselves so often in confusion. And so we want to know how we can emerge to a clear understanding of God's will. So what is What we see here then have to teach us about what needs to be in place in our lives, about how the Lord is liable to work in our lives before the Lord in order that the Lord will lead us out of confusion into a clear understanding of his will. Well, let's look and see as we move on from their seeming confusion to the Spirit's leading. Now, as we look here at how the Spirit leads and how the Spirit guides in this situation, it's important, first of all, I believe, to look at some of the general fundamental principles that we find in the Bible about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So we find, firstly, that in the Bible, God's will is spoken of in at least two different ways. There is the hidden, sovereign will of God. And then there is the revealed will of God. That is his will that is made clear. His will about how he expects his people to live, about the kind of character and qualities and standard and priorities that God expects to be there in the life of his people, to be lived out. Now, the unfortunate fact is that the attention of most Christians is focused on the hidden will of God. 
you know, what decision does God want me to make at this point in my life? What road does God want me to travel on? As this is the case, though, we've actually got it all wrong. You see, what we have to do is to concentrate on the revealed will of God. For it's as we obey that will of God that we know, it's then that we'll be led into the will of God that is hidden. I believe that there are two vital qualities that that actually need to be in place in our lives if we are to be led into God's will. One of them is a firm grasp of the, what I would call the key principle of the Christian life, and that is God's glory. God's glory must be first in our lives if we are to be led into his will. And secondly, we need what I'm going to call the essential character of a man or woman of God. That is, we need a truly godly character if we're to be led into God's will. A godly character that comes about not just by reading God's word, but by obeying it, living it out, saturating our lives in that word. A character that comes about by in prayer, developing our relationship with the Lord, opening our lives to the Spirit of God and dealing with anything in our lives that would quench the work of the Spirit within us. Now you see, all of this comes into play here. For Paul and his companions, without any question, had that key principle in their lives because their lives were consumed by a desire for God's glory. And undoubtedly too, they had that essential godly character because they walked close to the Lord. Also, here they fulfilled what they knew to be the revealed will of God, that is, to care for, to love his people because that was the reason for their initial pastoral visit. And then to continue on from that, to share the gospel, which was what they sought to do. And you see, it's here that the hidden sovereign will of God comes in. For as part of God's sovereign strategy, there's obviously a certain direction he wants to take them in in their evangelism. So he gives them here then special guidance with there being a whole range of elements involved. Closed doors, an open door, rationality. They were called to think things through and to interpret using their brain what was happening. And the supernatural, the direct intervention of God, also the individual. They had to deal with this, each one of them personally. But then there was also the group dynamic. They talked things through and reached together a common mind. So avoiding that big danger in guidance of convincing yourself that God's saying what you want him to say. Let me just quote here from John Stott. He says, the verb in verse 10, concluding, means literally to bring together, to bring everything together. And so, together, to infer something, to decide something from a variety of data, of information. 
Now you see, it was as in all this, Paul and his companions here were open and responsive to God, but so then God got them to where he wanted them to be. Okay, what then can we learn from all this? I believe that life's norm is that as we walk in obedience to the revealed will of God, to that will of God that's clearly there in his word, there's his requirements of his people, what he wants to be the priorities of his people. Yes, and as we so put his glory first, as we walk close to him, so then we will be led into God's way for our lives. That's the norm. However, at certain times in our lives, we may well need special guidance from the Lord. Times when we have got a big decision to make, a big life decision. Times when we come to a crossroads in our lives, when there are maybe ministries that God wants to lead us into, or there's maybe a situation God wants to lead us out of. There's perhaps a a surprising direction he wants to take us in. When this is the case, I believe God will give us the guidance we need to get us to that place where he wants us to be. And he can use any or all of a whole range of different options to do this. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're truly open to him, that we're ready to be responsive to him, and that we're ready to be balanced in in, in that sense of not just being swept along by our own desires, but also listen to others, to the counsel of mature and wise brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, we've looked here at their seeming confusion. We've looked at the Spirit's leading. Let's just finish by looking at the Spirit's strategy. For there was a, a spiritual strategy here that I'm sure Paul later must have have come to see. There was a strategy going on. That is, you see, being the kind of man that that Paul was, he wanted to go straight head on to Ephesus. He wanted to go right to the the hub, the center of that whole region. But you see, that wasn't God's strategy. And here, let me just quote from F.F. Bruce. He said that strategic points on the circumference of the circle of which Ephesus was the center were evangelized first. In Macedonia and Greece as well as in South Galatia. And then he completed his work in that whole area by nearly three years of ministry at the center. And he finishes, the supernatural munitions did not spoil Paul's strategy but improved it. You see, enthusiastic, impetuous Paul, he wanted to go and to crack that tough nut straight away. The Lord, though, instead, he wanted Paul and his team trained and tried and tested before they took on that big job. And you know, I'm sure that by the time he finished his ministry in Ephesus, that Paul would have grasped what was going on And he would have been ready to acknowledge that God was right. That what had been done was what had needed to be done. But you know something? There was an even 
greater dimension of spiritual strategy here. An even greater work of spiritual strategy going on that I don't believe in, believe even Paul could see. Not even with the benefit of hindsight would Paul ever have been to grasp this. Because you see, Paul, as we all are, he was a man of his time. He was a man of his culture. And so he thought always in terms of provinces. That's what his world was about, Roman provinces. And because of that, he wanted to go to Ephesus. He wanted to go to this city that was very important in the Roman Empire. And left to his own devices, there seems little doubt that as he'd done this, that he would have got drawn more and more into Roman Asia, which was his own home province and where his heart lay. So you see then, as God got Paul to Troas, and as he then got him over the Aegean Sea to, to Macedonia, which has now been largely subsumed into what we call Greece, as far as Paul was concerned, he was just passing over the Aegean Sea to a less important province. That was it. What Paul couldn't have fully grasped as a man of his time is that what he was actually doing was he was taking the seed of the gospel and planting it in another continent, the continent of Europe. And that it was here that the gospel was truly to take root, that the gospel was to spread across this vast continent, that tribes and nations and peoples were going to turn to Christ, and that it was from here, from Europe, that in due course, the gospel was then to fan out to Africa, back to Asia, to the Americas, Australasia, to the very ends of the earth. Paul couldn't have fully grasped this. You see, there was a dimension to the sovereign spiritual strategy of God that simply lay beyond him. I want to say I believe we'll find exactly the same as we walk with God and God leads us in our life. That there will be times when with the benefit of hindsight, when we can look back and say, now I see. Now I understand what God was doing there, why that had to happen. But I tell you, there will also be other times. There'll be times when we will not understand why the Lord has led and guided as he has. Why what has happened has happened. We won't understand it this side of heaven. And then all we can do is with Paul obey what the Lord is saying. Follow where God is leading. That's all we can do. But let me again though just assure you and finish by assuring you that if we follow the revealed will of God, if we follow the word of God that we know, the word of God that's clear, that's there in his word, that speaks of his requirements of his people, of what he wants to be the priority of his people, if we follow that will, 
And if we put his glory first in our lives, if we seek to walk close to him, if we commit ourselves to be open and responsive to him in every way, then be certain. God will get us to where he wants us to be. God will achieve in our lives and he will achieve through our lives what he wants to achieve. He did it for Paul. He'll do it for us. If only we are ready to truly seek him and then to follow him wherever he leads. Let's come and pray together. Father, we just want to bless you that you do lead and guide us by your Spirit, that you lead and guide us through your Word, that you lead and guide us through circumstances, through the counsel of our brothers and sisters. You lead and guide us in so many ways. Sometimes we see and sometimes we understand, but at other times it's simply a matter of following you, of being obedient to you of just seeking to glorify you and honor you in every way. Lord, may we be a people who really do live for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.